Welcome to The City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. This morning, I'm speaking from the subject, Those Who Dwell, uh, coming out of Psalm 91. I'm going to read the whole psalm, so just bear with me because this is beautiful. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, Unless you strike your foot against a stone, you will tread on the lion and the adder. Don't know what an adder is, but thank God for that. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds you fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Come on, the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reading of your word, how powerful it is. God, your word comes forth as a double-edged sword, able to penetrate soul and spirit, bone and marrow. So God, would your word come forth today, God, with power and anointing. God, focus our hearts upon what you want to say. This is not about the messenger, it's about the message. It's not about the preacher, it's about the subject of your word, Jesus Christ. So would you do what only you can do today and bring life to dry things, bring hope to despair, bring joy into sadness. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. It's been a good week. Come on, how many of y'all had a good week? This week, Alini and I celebrated four years of marriage. Four years. Me and my lovely bride, September 26th of 2015, we, we were united in holy matrimony. And uh, so it's been four years, and I, I, you know, I have vivid memory. I can, uh, I can remember, you know, our first couple of weeks married, uh, you know, the first grocery shopping trip, how awful that was, you know, come on, how all that money that went, like literally, the, we had two market basket carts, like totally and completely overflowing, uh, and, uh, and, and so I just saw dollars at that point. Come on, anybody with me on there? All right, you remember the first market basket trip? How many market basket lovers in the house? I know, y'all are all there, okay? So, so that, I remember that. I remember, you know, our first bills. Uh, first time we had to pay rent. First time National Greed hit us up. First time, uh, for, first time, first time for everything. Uh, I always thought, like, double income. I thought it was going to be, like, double awesome. But then double income actually meant double bills. And so I didn't realize that until I, until I got married, you know? So, you know, now it's two car payments. And so now it's two people on the insurance. Now it's two cell phones. And now it's two of everything. And now it's, now it's, now it's nails. And I never thought about that. You know, and now it's, now it's, 
now it's now it's Alta, and I never thought about Alta. You know, I never never thought about any of that. So all I thought about was my weekly haircut, my lineup, and now you know it was her her hair. And and one time for a woman's hair equals about ten lineups. And so so I didn't know the ratio of salons to barbershops, but that's a good that's a good that's a good ratio that you should know before you take the plunge. Uh, and so all that stuff was great and interesting. And it was fun, you know, move, you move in, you feel all cute, you're cooking dinner together and meal planning and you're doing, you know, you're brewing coffee for each other and it's all nice and, nice and great and honey, I'm home kind of thing. And, you know, it's fun. It's really, it's really fun. I, 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 enjoy, I prefer now over then. I think marriage gets better as the longer you stick with it, the better it gets. Um, but there are some, I don't care how many premarital counseling sessions you go to, nothing can prepare you for marriage. Nothing. Nothing else will do. Nothing. I'm telling you, you can hire an in-house premarital counselor. Ain't gonna work. Thank you, Raheem's mom. And nothing else well, can prepare you. It just can't. And the married people are like, you're right. And the engaged people are like, oh, no. <laughs> and the single people are like, I don't care. I still all get married. <laughs> right? But nothing can prepare you. You can talk all about communication and conflict resolution and finances and sex, and you can talk about all of it. Nothing's going to prepare you. You got to take the plunge and figure that thing out. Come on, married people, can you make some noise? We've been married four years, it's been three wonderful years because year one was a trial run. You gotta stick with it, you gotta stick with it. But you know what, the longer you're in it, the better you get at it. As long as you want it to be better. Because if you don't want it to be better, the longer you're in it, the worse it gets because you're just being hard-headed and selfish. And, and all that happens. But if you want it to be great, it'll be great. And if you want it to be terrible, it'll be terrible. Nothing can prepare you for it. Because there's some things you only learn when you're in it. Right? It's like the job interview. Like, you can go to the interview and feel really qualified, and you can say that you know Excel backwards and forwards when you really don't. And you can, you can talk about all your interpersonal skills when you really hate people. You can say all of these things, right? We all have interpersonal skills at job interviews. We all are like people, people, and we all love people, and we're all great. We're all great team players. Meanwhile, you hated every group project growing up, but you're a great team player because you need a paycheck. Come on, somebody. Great team player, hate working with people. You can, they can ask you every question. And you can ask every question about the company. But there are some things you only find out about the job when you start. Have you ever gone to that job interview and it's like, this is the best job ever. This is like dream job. This is going to be amazing. I am going to make bank. Like they got even 401k. And you didn't even know what 401k was, right? And it's like so fancy. And you, you're over there choosing your health plan all cute. And, but then you, you start the job and there's drama and there's backbiting, and there's affairs, 
and the job and the supervisor's terrible, and this person is that person, and people be stealing your lunchable out of the fridge. Come on, and all of the above. I remember one job I had when I was drug counselor. They stole. I had a lean cuisine one day. I don't know why I had that because I was trying to get lean, but um, but there was a Wendy's down the street, so I was. But someone stole my lean cuisine. I'm like y'all are terrible people. But there are some things you only learn about the job once you start. It's like driver's ed. When you go to driver's ed, they teach you how many feet from the stop sign you should park, the fact that the left lane is the passing lane. I don't get that rule. The fact that you got to stay so far away from a school bus, so far away from an ambulance, so far away from a fire truck, I got to keep notes in order to know how far away from everything I got to stay. Right? You can do the written test and pass it. But there are some things you only learn by being behind the wheel. It's like a cookbook, right? You can, you can have the stove. You can have the ingredients. You can have the, 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 the desire. But there are some things that you will only figure out that I have not yet figured out when you are behind the stove and actually do it. Now, I can make me a mean scrambled eggs. Come on, any scrambled eggs people in the house, you like to make, that's the best thing I can make is scrambled eggs. Come on, when, when Aline's about to make any egg, I'm like, hold on, wait a minute, let me handle this. Because I make some good scrambled eggs. Now, everything else, she, can, she, she makes far better than I ever could. But there are some things that you only learn when you do it. There are some things that you will only experience with God when you've walked long enough with God to experience them. There are some things that you will only experience with God when you've lo walked long enough with God to experience them. Psalm 91 is one of those things where we don't know who wrote Psalm 91. Some people say Moses. Some people say David. It doesn't really matter. The, what matters is that Psalm 91 is giving us the testimony of a person who has journeyed with God. And because that person has journeyed with God, they have learned the beauty of what it means to walk with God. And so what they're giving is an encouragement to us that when you walk long enough with God, far enough with God, you will experience like a new level of intimacy in this walk where you will have a renewed confidence in what God does in this relationship and then what your role is in this relationship. And so I started reading through Psalm 91 and a bunch of lessons just came out to me that I want to share with you this morning. And again, I'm speaking from the subject, those who dwell. And, and this, this, this psalm just gives us this beautiful language that just reminds us of what life is like when we walk with God long enough. And I want to speak to the person who maybe came this morning and isn't walking with God. Maybe you feel super far away from God. This message is what awaits you when you do walk with, in your journey with God. I also want to speak to the person who's been walking with God for a long time. I want to say to you, I want to remind you of the fresh beauty that we have in this relationship with God. That there is more than a mundane kind of like a, a mediocre walk, but that there is an exciting beauty of what it means to truly walk with Jesus. And so whoever you are this morning, this message is for you. There are five lessons that I've drawn from Psalm 91 and five challenges that I want to give you and five things that we get out of this journey that we are having and that we're walking with God. And number one is this, is that those who dwell will find rest. Those who dwell will find rest. Let me explain. We're all dwelling on something. We're all dwelling on something. Some people are dwelling on the past. 
Some people are dwelling on the past. You can't let go of what happened. That's dwelling. Dwelling on what happened. Dwelling on what they did to you. Dwelling on what they said about you. Dwelling on how you were raised. Dwelling on the fact that your dad was not there while you grew up. Dwelling on what, what, what happened at, during junior high or during high school or even your college years. Or, or dwelling on that failed relationship. Come on, somebody. Don't get me started on relationships because I will stay there till 11 a.m. Come on. Dwelling on that thing that happened. Have you ever felt crippled by your past? Come on, let's get some honest people up in the house of God. You feel literally bound by the chains of what happened, bound by the chains of what you did, bound by the chains of the person that did you wrong, bound by what happened during that time, bound by what they said about you, bound by, by everything that you went through, bound by that relationship that was toxic, and you are literally suffering to this day, thinking about the memories of what happened there, dwelling on that divorce, dwelling on that failed uh, job, dwelling on the past. You see, that is the enemy. He wa always wants us to look back at what didn't go right. But the psalmist is telling us the beauty of dwelling in God. And when we dwell in God, we find rest in God. Now, you know when we go to fall asleep at night? We don't just lay on our mattress for five seconds and say, oh, I didn't fall asleep. Let me get back up again. You see, you have to dwell long enough to find rest. You have to surrender control long enough to get the rest you need. Anybody fall asleep in like 10 seconds or less? Come on, you hit the pillow, you're gone. I envy you. I hit the pillow, I start looking at the details in my room. I start thinking about that smell in first grade. I start thinking about everything. My brain just goes wild. I start thinking about everything. I start thinking about y'all. I start thinking about the church. I start thinking about hope trash isn't blowing around the parking lot of the church. Let me check the camera real quick. I I'm crazy. The other night, this was true. The other night when it was raining, remember when we all got woken up by the thunder a couple nights ago? First thing I did, hopped on the cameras to see if the church was okay. Y'all, I'm sick. This is crazy. This is, not, this is not right. Get rid of the cameras. It's taking over my life. No, but, 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 but have you noticed, though? You have to lay down long enough to actually fall asleep. Maybe the reason why you haven't found rest in God is that you haven't given him control long enough to actually find rest. Isn't this a good word? Oh, man. I preached two weeks of really hard words, and so I was asking God, give me a one that's going to just get the church going, like get them encouraged. And I want to encourage you with this. Surrender control long enough that rest is your lifestyle. Right? It's for me, too. I got, there got to come a point where I don't check the cameras. Right? You got to unplug. Right? They're over here preaching to me. They're like, yeah, this is for you, actually. You can, it, but, but I will never stand up here on a platform and preach a message to you that I'm not preaching to myself. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen on that? Aren't you grateful for that? I'm not telling you like I've mastered it. No, I haven't. I leave Sunday afternoon. I'm already thinking about next Sunday. It got to come a point where you release control. And you're, Shane, it's not your church. Chill. If it's if like all right, if it's if water's coming in the building, what are you gonna do about it? You're not a handyman. You can't fix it. Just chill. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna get up on the roof. What's gonna happen if I know? Nothing. Yeah, I would call John. I call Aflac. I'd be like, y'all's church is flooding, guys. Good night. And but there's nothing that I can do. But but maybe you need to dwell long enough to rest. 
Maybe you need to sit in silence for long enough that rest becomes more than uncomfortable. Check this mattress example, y'all. Before you fall asleep, your mattress is the most uncomfortable place. Have you ever tossed and turned and you're like, I can't find it. Where is the position? But once you rest and you wake up, where you're at is the most comfortable position. The same place that was the most uncomfortable becomes the most comfortable because you remained long enough. This is the same for you. Some of us can't find rest in God because we haven't chilled long enough. We haven't given up control long enough. But when you give up control long enough, you will find yourself resting in him. And what was once uncomfortable becomes the new norm because you've stayed there long enough. This is a good word. Y'all ain't amening me at the level at which I'm preaching this. So you better say amen to this. Come on. We're all dwelling on something. Some people are dwelling on people. Dwelling on people. The only thing you're worrying about is the person in the row, in front of you, beside you, behind you. The person that didn't text you back. Now our mind is rolling and we're like, why didn't they text you? And you're, you're over there rereading your text, making sure you put the right emojis to make sure it didn't sound too harsh. And you're over there. You're over there. And fact is, they just they couldn't make it. They, honestly, they, they responded in their head, but they never typed it out. And that, that's okay. It happens. Come on. Anybody responded in their head and you didn't write it out and you didn't write Now you're all feeling bad and you got to go write an apology. And I'm so sorry. My apologies for this and all that stuff. And Sam and Melanie texted us yesterday. We didn't respond until this morning. And I felt super, uh, we were on our way to church. And Alini's like, we never responded Melanie. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, but you know what? I know that they're still going to be my friends. Because they're not like, wow, Pastor Shane's the worst. Sam unplugs all of his stuff, goes home, doesn't do it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Because <laughs> he understands, right? You're, you're over there obsessed, dwelling on how many people are liking your post. Refresh, 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 refresh. How many more? Ooh, they liked it. That means something. Wait, they liked the next post, and they didn't like mine. That means something. There's an algorithm for what is showing up on your timeline. Maybe they didn't see it. And even if they did and didn't like it, it's okay. Right? Can we chill out with the likes? This is not a like, a, like a measure of your worth. It's not a measure of your worth. If you think your photo's cute and nobody else does, leave it up because it's cute to you. Right? You worked mad hard on that photo. Leave it up. Even though your 300 followers don't agree, leave it up. <laughs> right? 200 of the followers are fake pages. We just leave it up. But this is the world we live in. And this is probably foreign to some of you in the room. Who are like, what is going on with this generation? I know. It's nuts. We are living for the approval. We're dwelling on the approval of people. It's crazy. It's crazy. And we find a high on the approval of people. Like, there's, there has to be some scientific evidence that a notification from Instagram does the same thing to our brain as drugs does. It has to. It has to. Google it. It's probably true. That's something, too. You could do that. My mom's preaching with me. That's just how we roll here if you're new. And, uh, but we, have you noticed we dwell on it? We're obsessed with it? It's crazy. Sometimes the best thing you can do is delete the app, cancel the account, get off for a while, unplug. Come on. Sometimes pastors, you know what pastors have to do? And this is truth. Unfollow other churches. That way you're not comparing your crowd to their crowd. The photo that they took of their, I told you, this, their congregation with the fisheye lens looks like they have a 1,000. 
and it was really 100, but because of the fisheye lens, it looks like 1,000. Now you're over here thinking that your church is not doing great, and a pastor gets into like a, a negative spiral of thinking because they're comparing their church to the church down the street, and you were never called to pastor the church down the street. You're called to pastor the people in the room that God gave you. Shepherd your flock. Don't shepherd anybody else's sheep. Come on now. We're over here comparing number of baptisms to your number of baptisms. You haven't baptized this month, and they're baptizing 10. You know what? It's not, it's not our job. It's your job to remain faithful in the field. And God brings the harvest. Pastors got to be on following churches because that's the kind of culture we live in now. It's wild. Isn't it wild? It's wild. There are, there are Instagram accounts highlighting preachers that have expensive sneakers. This is the world we live in, y'all. Where... Where now the obsession, we've redeemed kind of, we've redeemed idolatry. Where because it's a man of God, it's okay to envy after or And it's all about approval, guys. It's all about a lust for things. And we're dwelling on the wrong stuff. Church, I'm not going to be guilty of preaching light messages. Let me just go ahead and apologize to you if you're offended. But this needs to be spoken. This got to be spoken in order for us to be healthy because we can't be dwelling on stuff that God said we shouldn't be dwelling on. Oh, what did that pastor wear? What did that preacher wear? What did that... Some of these dollar amounts are beyond my wildest imagination for something that is literally on soil. Shoes, shoes touch soil. Ground. Dog stuff. I'd rather pay off my student loans. Come on now. Come on now. Barton Street, Barton Street could use some of that money. Does it break the heart of, and I don't know if this sermon is going to offend the world. I don't care. I don't care if Denmark is offended right now this morning if they hear this, but but, man, it must break the heart of God when the main thing is no longer the main thing. I have five points, and I'm on point one. I got to, this is going to be a five-week sermon, guys. We got to dwell, right? Literally, the worship team was rehearsing for this morning, and I was sitting on the front row reading over my notes, and I'm like, God, I think I'm going to stop, I'm going to get stuck on point one. And Holy Spirit was just, like, silent, so I'm like, okay. And, uh. But maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe the Lord is striking a chord right now that we just got to keep playing until we hear the note. Um, we're dwelling on a lot of stuff, guys. Some people are so consumed by getting into a relationship, dwelling on that, that they miss their purpose. Chasing a person. You miss the reason you're alive because you're obsessed with getting with someone. You're dwelling on it. You go to sleep thinking about it. You wake up thinking about it. You dream about it. Talk about it. Yo, if, if, if we're meeting up and the first thing out of your mouth is about your, your marital status, your, your singlehood, your this, your that, that shows me what's at the forefront of your brain. And until you find yourself in Christ, you are never prepared to bring somebody else into your life. We're dwelling 
You're dwelling on people that disappoint. Yo, people disappoint. And your life is going to get wrecked if you're putting all your hope in a person that's going to bring you satisfaction. Your life is going to get wrecked. Wrecked. Marriage is going to mess you up. I'm accepting membership transfers from wherever you go to here in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. We need her here. We need her here. Raheem, you're slack. That is your mission field guy. But you get it? Am I, am I preaching truth here, pastors? Like, you're, you're, we're dwelling on people. Marriage will mess you up. If you're depending on a person to make you happy and make you fulfilled, you got, they can't be your other half. They got to be your other whole. Oh, they're my better half. Oh, that means you were only half when you met them? That means you were only 50? No, I was 100 when I met Alini. 100. Honey, she was 200. And then we got together. But, but check this. And y'all will applaud me, and we still mess up on this. Still mess up. We still compromise. We still give wiggle room. We still put ourselves in a situation we can't resist sexually. We still park in the dark place where we know we shouldn't be with no accountability. And we say, we're strong. No, you're not. You're not strong. Only Jesus was. Right? Don't trust your flesh ever. I don't care. Don't trust it. I don't care how saved, sanctified, justified, glorified you are. Don't trust the flesh. The flesh will move. The flesh will do. And before you know it, you're over there like, what happened? You know what happened? You trusted yourself. That's what happened. You dwelt on what that person's body could do for you. This is a fantastic sermon. I talk to pastors and preachers, and, and, and we're like, do you do manuscript style or bullet points and, and, and manuscript is like you read off a manuscript and I'm like you know what church I prepare like I got note pages of notes but then I just kind of go with whatever the Lord wants to say to the church that morning come on I got notes I'm prepared but but man I ain't stuck to this y'all come on can you forgive me for that this is just good stuff how sad would it be if I was just like well point number one is those who dwell find rest point number two happy happy Sunday everybody no I really just kind of flow with it that's just how I roll, so I hope you're happy with that. I hope you're happy with that. We just, I, I don't know what a manuscript means. I don't know what a manuscript means. When they say manuscript, I'm like, what? You read it and you leave? That's crazy. I get stuck on point number one. Um, but we're all dwelling. It's crazy. Right? And God is saying, those who dwell in the shadow of the Most High will find rest. We're looking for rest, but we're dwelling on the wrong things. 
Sam, can you help me out? Actually, worship team, can you come up? Everybody that was up here, come on back up. We're going to sing Do It Again, again. We are literally going to do it again. But I was thinking, you know how Psalm, I'm going to read one more thing here. You know how Psalm 91 starts with that beautiful phrase that we read, those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I started thinking, like, how can we dwell? How can we dwell in God's presence? And this is the beauty of the Bible, is that the Bible is one big thing, not, a multi not multiple stories. It tells one story. And so I come to John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And God just deposited revelation in my spirit right in that moment. Because my question was, God, how can we dwell in your presence? We can dwell in your presence, God, because through Jesus, you dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is the answer. I can't give you any other solution other than Jesus. I can't say tithe more. I can't say maybe you should serve in kids' ministry, although that would be great. I can't give you like a, a formula. All I can say is that the way for us to dwell in his presence and find rest is when we find salvation through the one who dwelled among us. That's Jesus. You see how everything is gospel? It all circles back to this one man named Jesus who came and became like one of us so that we could become children of God. This morning, I don't know how you walked in here, far from God, walking with God, discouraged in your journey, confused, asking questions. I want to encourage you with this. Dwell long enough in God that you find rest in God. Could you stand with me? The worship team is going to lead us back into worship for a few moments. But I want to pray for you. If you could bow your heads, close your eyes. Zach, if you could bring down the house lights. And I really want this just to be an intimate moment between the Lord and, and us. Church, do you need rest? If that's something that you've been asking God for, could you just lift up a hand so that I know who to pray for and who we're praying for? Come on, you're looking for rest. It's literally almost everybody in the house. Let me pray for you. Jesus, your word never returns void. Ever. Thank you, God, that in this moment, there is so much power and blessing because your word has gone forth boldly. Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So, Lord, help us to rest in you. Lord, as Augustine said, may we be restless until we find our rest in thee. Father, seal this word in our hearts. 
We pray in the mighty name of Jesus.